Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Internship Coordinator Travis Klein. And I am Hannah Christian, the Assistant Director of Career Services. And on our podcast today, a Bearcat alum, she graduated with a degree in secondary science ed. She is the lead cytogenetic technologist at Children's Mercy and is also an alumni board member, Damian Bridges. All right. So um, I just have to start because we were, like I said, we were kind of discussing this. What does a cytogenetic technologist do? Well, we used to play this game, friends and I, we go to a bar and we try to have people guess what I did, you know, and if they guessed right, they had to say a couple key words. If they guess right, we buy them a drink. If they guess wrong, they buy me a drink. And normally I got the drink. <laughs> <laughs> but um, cyto means cell. And then genetics means, you know, what makes up a person, you know, to get half of the genetic material from mom, half from dad. So in a nutshell, I do clinical chromosome studies. So I study your chromosomes. And we do, you know, the kids from our hospital, cancer patients, um, from clinics, you know, endocrinology. We do parents who are having problems with getting pregnant or kids who are born and have something wrong. Say a kid's born and they think maybe it has Down syndrome, you know, we'll culture the blood, see if it has that extra chromosome 21. Um, and then we do a lot of cancer patients outside our hospital from other hospitals. So I look at the chromosomes and we determine, you know, is there a genetic chromosome problem to explain what's wrong with the child or the patient. So everything is clinical. It gives you an answer. It's not research or anything like that. So, um, so we physically look at your chromosomes to see if there's anything wrong with them. That is <laughs> fascinating. So cool. All right. So let's go way, way back. Okay. And I always like to ask, what was your very first job? So what did you get paid to do the very first job when you got paid to do some work? I was a lifeguard at Sun and Surf swimming pool. It used to be a swimming pool off of Antioch Road here in Kansas City. And I, that's where I started as a lifeguard. Well, let me say I did babysitting before that, you know, watching little kids and stuff. But my first true job, what I consider was a true job was a lifeguard. So were you in high school? Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I was 16 when I started um, being a lifeguard. So I was a, fr I was a freshman in um, high school, freshman, sophomore, something like that. And did you do that work for more than one summer or uh, how long did you have that job? I had at least for a couple of years. I don't think I was doing it when I graduated high school, um, but at least for a couple of years I did that. It was a lifeguard. How did you get to Northwest? I came from a family of bear cats. Um, my mom and dad both went to Northwest and um, there really wasn't any question about not going to Northwest. So you know, I wasn't interested in looking at other colleges. Um, I just wanted to be a Bearcat like my mom and dad were. It was kind of as simple as that. <laughs> Did you know that you wanted to be a teacher? I wanted to be a forest ranger riding around on a horse um, in a national park somewhere when I was young. That's what I wanted to do. So my intent when I first went to Northwest was I was going to get a um, pre-wildlife. Um, they've got a, a wildlife conservation degree up there. And I was going to do that for a couple of years. And I was going to transfer to Missouri, finish off in forestry. 
And my dad kind of sat me down and said, you know, you're not going to be making a lot of money doing that. You know, it was just kind of one of those things where he just wanted to make sure I was, you know, prepared. And so I, I just, so I went ahead and, and I'm like an hour short of my wildlife conservation degree, but I did still continue to that. But then I went ahead and got a teaching degree, kind of like a backup, you know, to just in case type of thing. And I did it in general science and biology. Initially, that's not what I intended to go up there. My, both my parents were teachers and that wasn't really what I intended to do, but that's kind of what I came out with. <laughs> so had you always been interested in science? Yeah, I've always been interested in the outdoors. I'm very curious. I just like being in nature. So, you know, you know, forests and hiking and that sort of thing is what I really like to do. I like being outside. I like fiddling in my yard and doing stuff. So it was always something, you know, something outdoors was what my, when I was young growing up was what I wanted to do. So fun fact, that was also my, when I came here, that's how I started out as well. So very oh, similar yeah. story. Yeah. I yeah. also, I too wanted to do that. So yeah. I guess, guess I switched out of it as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you become realizing that if it's going to sustain you for the rest of your life, I guess that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <Not> that, <yeah. laughs> So did you teach post-graduation? You said you had a general science teaching certificate. Did you use that for a few years? I did not. I did um, send out resumes. I mean, I did apply for some teaching jobs my first year that I graduated. And funny that no one was hiring or I couldn't find what I wanted. So I was just doing some substitute teaching. And I worked for a year at JCPenney's um, selling jewelry. And I had been doing that for nine years anyway, kind of as a part-time job, you know, seasonal type stuff. So I really didn't find anything for that fall to start a teaching. So I worked at Penny's for a whole year thinking, maybe I can make a career selling jewelry and make money doing it. <laughs> well, after one year, I realized that wasn't going to, you know, sustain a career for me. So funny thing is I was working at Penny's and uh, one of the girls I worked with, her daughter was seeing a genetic counselor at the hospital. She had some problems. And um, she said, um, they're looking for a, back then used to, we took pictures of the chromosomes through a camera on the microscope. And then we had to go into a dark room, develop the film and all that. They were looking for someone to develop film and process the film for the department. So I went in and interviewed for that job. And I interviewed with the director and he goes, well, my God, he goes, you're, um, degree in you know science and stuff he goes you're way well qualified for this job so he hired me as a technologist right then and there and so I trained for a couple of years in the lab got familiar with all everything and took my test um, to make me a cytogeneticist and pass that and that's how I got into cytogenetics <laughs> so, I mean funny thing you know having someone from that I worked with and just talking to her and, and kind of going through the back door of trying to do it through you know developing a film and he hired me as a technologist so that's kind of that's how my career started <laughs> that is so that's interesting because one of the things that we're always especially with students sharing is talk to the cashier at Hy-Vee, talk to the person because you know your mailman maybe your mailman doesn't know someone but maybe his wife or her husband's cousin or somebody knows somebody. So if you just put it out there in the wide world, you just really don't know who knows who, who can kind of help you get that job. Exactly. It, it, it was very, um, you know, just odd in the way how it happened, you know, just talking to her. But I knew I couldn't work, make a living selling jewelry. 
And so I said, what the heck? I have nothing to lose. And genetics was part of, you know, courses I took in college. And Dr. Hart, I loved him. He was my genetic, my instructor for that. And so, you know, I thought it's not that far stretch of what I came out with, general biology and science. And, and it seemed interesting. It sounded interesting. And, you know, I like hands-on. I always loved labs, um, hands-on doing things. So, you know, I thought, why not? So, <laughs> and what, 32 years later, I'm still doing it. So what does a typical day like of your work look like? Well, when I first started out, you know, I was a technologist. I, you know, I did all the bench work. Um, you know, I learned how to culture bloods, bone marrows, how to drop them onto slides to get the metaphases, to read them under the scope, general, you know, lab work, you know, being sterile and you know, doing all that and setting things up, learning to read chromosomes, you know, it takes a long time to become really good at it and, and to be able to recognize, you know, the abnormality, because some of them can be very subtle. And um, so I started as a technologist doing that bench work for quite a long time. And then it was somewhere, so I started there in November of 88 at Children's, and did move around a little bit. We were in the hospital, then we moved to Old St. Mary's Hospital and converted their morgue into a lab, because Children's was growing, and so we kind of got pushed out. We were expendable to um, take over other areas. So we were in St. Mary's for 10 years. We weren't supposed to be there that long. Then we came back to the hospital and then we got kicked out again. Well, about six years ago, we were over in Crown Center and one of their buildings, you know, they built us a whole new lab. So moved around a lot doing what I'm doing. But it was around 2000 when um, I became the lead technologist and I kind of um, oversee, saw the lab, helped with training the new people came in reading other duties, you know, that I took from supervisor, you know, some stuff off her plate and, and eventually got out of doing bench work. I, you know, I became more hands-on with the techs and, and teaching them and because it, it takes a long time to become a good reader, you know, and, and some, some, you know, I've seen people come and go pretty quickly. It's just not their cup of tea. You have to have a lot of patience and can be sitting at a scope, you know, looking at, a screen and trying to figure out chromosomes. It's like a puzzle to me and I love puzzles. So about 2000 is when I became a lead technologist and um, that's kind of, you know, the history of how that happened. So that is really good because I, um, I was a botany major. I switched over to being a botany major. So I was very interested in plant anatomy. And so I think one thing that people don't understand about maybe if you're doing lab work or, or things like that, how important it is to have that sterile technique and to understand microscopes. Yeah. And, and that's a whole skill set. Um, so maybe if you're a student and you're in the natural sciences, that, that lab work and those types of lab skills are something that you kind of take for granted. But I really think the rest of the world has no idea what you're actually doing in there. Yeah, you do. You have to, you know, be at it, you know, be very careful not mixing samples, you know, working with one at a time. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And believe me, I've seen it happen. It's one of those things where you really have to put your mind to what you're doing and focus in on, you know, what you're doing at that point and not get distracted. And Yes, detail-oriented means something in the lab. very detailed-oriented, you know. Uh, One thing that I do right now a lot of is um, I, I write a lot of fish reports. When I say fish, we do, um, uh, for us, it's in situ hybridization where we apply fluorescent probes to metaphases and nuclei and they light up. So we fish, fish studies is one of our aspects of our job. And I write a, a lot of the reports for that and for the chromosomes. And I'm, 
And a lot of the directors had me check their reports because I'm very detail-oriented. I'm very cautious and conscious of, did we put the right sex in? And is the nomenclature correct? You know, so it's, yeah, it's very detailed in that. And that's me detail-oriented. Well, it sounds like this position you have now, you're actually using some of the education stuff too. So if you're training and doing that, you're actually, even though you weren't in the classroom, you're still really teaching and training. And you're right, Travis. I mean, that is correct. I mean, I am teaching people how to read, you know, things I use to help get me, you know, to where I am now and passing along tips and things to do, you know, to help make them a better reader. So, yeah, so you are correct. I, in a way, have used my education major to some point, (laughs) just not in the classroom. (laughs) So as a supervisor, if you were hiring people for maybe lab tech positions, if I have natural sciences students here, can you talk Mm -hmm. about what makes a good lab tech or what types of skills, what types of um, maybe personality types or habits or, or types of things make them good at that kind of work? You know, we, we've hired a lot of med tech people who are wanting to get out of med tech and just do something different. And they're great because they've already been in a lab situation. They already have, you know, sterile technique working under hoods and things like that. And then we've hired people who have no idea what size genetics mean, you know, you just have to have, you have to have, be able, a willingness to work with people, um, have a clear sense of, you know, being detailed and being, you know, conscious of what we're working with. You know, we're working with tissues and bloods and bone marrow. So, you know, for the health of yourself and everyone else, you know, being um, cautious of that, knowing that, that you can sit down and concentrate and do something without getting up all the time, you know, so we're looking for people who have that sense of, you know, ability to do that stuff. And like I said, you know, med techs are great because they already have some background or anyone who's had any type of lab background, you know, it helps. Um, But again, like I said, we've taken people, you know, that don't have any sense of lab. A lot of times those people didn't last too long And, and it happens, you know, we've had people come in and they may last a year, or less, and then they just see this as in their cup of tea, you know, even though we try to explain to them what you're going to be doing, it doesn't really sink in, you know, so, so, you know, in our lab, we've got people that have been there, I mean, I've been there probably the longest, the longest now, and, um, and we've got people there that are, you know, 20, 25 years, and, and I got a guy behind me at 32, which is a Northwest graduate as well, so there's a lot of longevity in our lab, which we're finding now we need to start hiring younger people because soon all these older people are going to be retiring and we got to get people in there that know what they're doing. So, um, and there's people who do great at it, but they're, they're just moving on to the next bigger thing, you know, which, you know, I think in this day and age happens a lot more people are always looking for something greener and something better. And, you know, the people that I'm, got all this longevity with, you know, back late 80s, early 90s, there was a more sense of staying together and staying with that job or staying with the job, I guess, than sometimes today. So, but yeah, I mean, anyone could do it with the right training. Um, but if you already have some sort of lab experience, that helps a lot. So, <clears throat> so I had a lab partner in organic chemistry, which anyone who's had organic chemistry knows that it's all about colorless, odorless, clear liquids. And so, but you can't mix all the colorless, odorless liquids or some of them might explode. And so this is why I do not work in a lab uh, 
my partner and I, we would lose track of which was which. And then we would just be like, let's just burn it off because <laughs> oh, no. we didn't want to dump it into the wrong bottle. So right. uh, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't work in a lab uh, for my career. I was really good at pipetting though. At that micro pipette, I have very steady hands. So, yeah. you know. Do a lot of that in the lab. If I have a student who's about to graduate, um, do you have any advice for career searching or what I can do to take the next steps? Uh, maybe even specifically if I want to go into a field sort of like yours. I guess, you know, you, you, you have to kind of decide what you want to do, what kind of area you want to do, and then try to find companies or areas that are, are hiring or are interested in, you know, that sort of work or need those sort of people. The more you put yourself out there and, you know, the more you um, send your resume out, the better, of course, you know, because you just never know. And, and you may get several choices, you know, then instead of having just one person call you back. So my advice is, you know, put yourself out there and send to as many, even though maybe you think they may not be doing exactly what you want, you know, listen to them, go see the lab or go see the area because you just don't know until you get there, you know. So put as much out there, you know, when you're searching and just take a chance. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, say yes to the job, but at least you can kind of get a sense of what is out there and what are they doing, what kind of things are, you know, available, you know, in the science area. A lot of research out there too, of course, clinical too. I mean, cytogenesis just, you can't pluck one off the tree, believe me, you know. If we could hire someone that already had experience, that would be awesome, you know. But it's hard to find experience in our area without having to train someone because it takes a long time to train. I mean, it takes a lot of effort and in all the different areas. So, um, but the more you, you know, put yourself out there, the more you get to see and then choose from, so. And you're also, you're involved with the Alumni Association as well. So how did, how did you get involved with them? So I graduated in December of 84. And like everyone, you go off, you start your career. Um, I got married and um, you just, I kind of forgot about North, to be honest, for a while. Then I got divorced and then I, my dad got sick and he um, passed away in 2003. And it was about that time where some friends of mine from college kind of reached out. One of them was in the um, Kansas City chapter, Northwest chapter. And so I started hanging out with her. I went to a meeting. I became a board, you know, I became on the Kansas City chapter and became an avid Northwest footballer. I've had season tickets for 17 years. And um, that's kind of how I got back involved with the university, with friends, with activities. So I've been on the Kansas City chapter since then. And then it was, and then I love to be involved. I love to do work, you know, plan things, help things. I've been a lot of the golf things for Northwest, you know, helping with that and stuff for the alumni for, you know, when we had Arrowhead and all sorts of stuff. And then it was a year and a half ago when Bob approached me and wanted me to submit being on the board and everything. And I thought, he, I figured it was kind of the next natural step to take. So I've been on the board for a year now, uh, though this year has been quite, it started last July and this year has been kind of, as everyone knows, pretty well messy anyway with COVID. And so we really haven't done a lot. We couldn't meet. We had to do Zoom for our, our, chat, our meeting here in September. And so, um, so that's how I got involved. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, what does it mean to you to be a Bearcat? It means so much. It's tattooed on my body. I have a Northwest Bearcat um, paw 
tattooed on the outside of my left ankle. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how more you can be dedicated. I think it's tradition. Um, you know, when I went to Northwest, I loved the campus. I loved the closeness and just the beauty of it. I mean, it's more beautiful today than it was even back when I was going. There's so much newer things and a sense of pride. You know, I, I tell people I go to Northwest and everyone knows Northwest. I mean, they've heard of it, the football team, the basketball team. You can't go anywhere with someone saying, oh, you're a Bearcat, you know, and, and, and they know who that is, you know, and, and the fact that I'm a second generation of three generations who have gone through Northwest, you know, I'm proud of that and um, a sense of belonging and camaraderie. I mean, I have some great friends through Northwest and, and the activities and, you know, have a great tailgate group for football, you know, unfortunately we can't get together this year, but there's next year. But just that connection and that sense of pride. And I mean, I have a Bearcat room that I got all the posters and things, you know, so yeah, I do, you know, bleed green, I guess you could say. <laughs> so. All right. Well, what one of the things that I've been doing is um, at the end of our interviews, giving my uh, interviewee a little bit of space to just share anything that you have on your mind um, that you might want to put out into the world. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating. Well, I shouldn't contemplate. I I am. I already told um, the hospital I'm, I'm retiring at the end of 2021. That'll be 33 years there. That I kind of hit my end of the road there. I've done what I did and I did it well. You know, I'm a good technologist, very conscientious, but now I'm ready to do something different. You know, I just want to experience something different and something fun. I, I, I really love animals. I really would like to um, volunteer more and at pet shelters and things like that. Um, and so, you know, I want to devote, you know, five, the next five years or once I retire, I'll have five years um, where I just want to, you know, do fun stuff, a job that, a part-time job that isn't demanding like what I have now, you know, but fun, but allows me then to have time for volunteering and doing stuff for the community, which we'll have to wait till next year for that, of course. Maybe now's the time when you can ride your horse through the park, right? If I had one, (laughs) though I know some people do have horses, (laughs) I could do that. But um, I just, people do what you want that makes you happy, you know, you know, life is short when you think about it. And, you know, that's why I kind of want to retire. I I could go another eight years at Children's, but I really don't want to. I want to be able to do some other things that, you know, fun and things I wanted to experience and take time for myself and too often you see people wait too long and then they don't, you know, either get sick or something or they can't move around well. And so, you know, I think COVID has kind of shared, you know, kind of showed us sometimes that it's good to slow down and it's good to do a few things that maybe aren't so driven, I guess. Finding the time for the little things that, you know, uh, we, we take for granted, you know, or don't think about and um, you, you let life go by too quickly and don't really s- slow down and smell the roses more or less and yeah or spending time with family you know hanging out um, that's one of my favorite things is game night you know hanging out with friends or just playing games and you know doesn't have to be anything fancy you know just the time spending with friends and family is important so <laughs> all right well awesome well thank you for being our guest on the podcast we really appreciate it well, it's my pleasure well that'll do it for another episode of behind the bearcat and we'll talk to you next time 